10 verse 16. Verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about, about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will be not you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Thanks Carl. Just uh, also, just my announcement is uh, don't forget Tuesday is uh, the, tra- the training night, so uh, come along to that. I've been, um, been psyching myself up with Eye of the Tiger, actually, myself. I've been singing it as I wash up, you know, the Eye of the Tiger. Anyway, but, uh, so just come pumped up on Tuesday night. That's the message. Uh, 
but to, uh, to Matthew 10. I don't know uh, how many people uh, watched Q&A a few weeks ago with uh, Peter Jensen, uh, the, Ar- the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney. Uh, he appeared on that show and uh, he was publicly abused uh, and humiliated really by a comedian sitting next to him. Uh, and interestingly, uh, in uh, the editorial of The Australian a few days later, uh, this was written, there was a time when the national broadcaster would show a certain amount of respect for the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, not out of deference or religious subservience, but to show proper regard for a significant long-standing institution playing a constructive role in our nation. When Archbishop Peter Jensen appeared on the ABC's Q&A on Monday night, there was a sense he was not there as a representative of a valid strand of community thinking, but rather as a curiosity to be mocked by a crude stand-up comedian. In the uh, United States, too, at the present time, there's been uh, a kind of political debacle uh, surrounding a company called Chick-fil-A and there's been political opposition to that company uh, opening a store in Chicago because the CEO of that company supports the biblical view of marriage. He came out and he said that, that they uh, believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman Uh, and because the company supports groups like Focus on the Family. Because of that, uh, they've struggled and been fighting against this political opposition. Joe Carter, who writes for the Gospel Coalition, said, intolerance towards supporters of traditional marriage has now spilled over from the realm of politics into the world of business. What's most surprising, though, is not that it happened, that was inevitable, but the speed at which it occurred. A decade ago, who would have predicted a company like Chick-fil-A would be the target of political opposition and media scrutiny for simply giving money to mainstream organisations like Focus on the Family. I don't know about you, but uh, as I watch uh, the news, as I read the newspapers, as I see what's going on in the world, it seems that it's a reasonable conclusion to draw that the amount of persecution uh, of Christians Uh, and the hatred of Christianity is increasing. It seems as though really for a time uh, in the West we've been living in something of a bubble. If you look through uh, the 2,000 years of church history, the norm really is persecution. And uh, for the last uh, maybe 150 years or so, uh, the West has had a pretty good run of it. But maybe the tide is starting to turn. If that's true, uh, if that's a reasonable assumption, a reasonable conclusion to draw, then that's a reality that we need to be prepared for. Not just political opposition, but opposition to businesses, opposition to ourselves and what we believe. And Matthew 10 helps us, I think, to be prepared for persecution. Last week, Uh, If you were here, we looked at the beginning of chapter 10 and we saw that Jesus sent out his disciples with that mission to take the gospel uh, to the surrounding towns. Uh, But in the verses that we're looking at this morning, uh, Jesus 
pushes beyond the immediate ministry of the 12 disciples and he looks ahead really into what would be true for uh, his disciples, his followers uh, throughout that whole time between his resurrection uh, and when he comes again. He drives really to the heart of the costly reality of uh, of Christian witness uh, and he paints a picture of the reality of persecution and how we uh, are to deal with that. And so we come, uh, as we come to these verses this morning, I want to ask three questions. First, what will it be like? What will the time between uh, Jesus' resurrection and his return, what will that be like? Second, why will it be like that? And thirdly, how should we respond? What will it be like? Why will it be like that? And how do we respond? So first then, what will it be like to follow Jesus in between uh, his resurrection and his return to judge the world? Well, this chapter gives us uh, a number of depictions of what it's like to follow Jesus and the first can be found in verse 17. Jesus says, Be on your guard against men. Why? Because they will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account you'll be brought before governors and kings. So what will it be like? Well, it will involve being beaten and flogged. It's a great exercise uh, to read through church history. I don't know how many people do that, to read through uh, stuff about what's happened in the history of the church. But one of my favourite periods is the evangelical revival in Great Britain in the 18th century. I love it. I love to read about what happened under Whitfield and Wesley uh, and there was a great revival of religion but it was also a time of immense persecution. So John Wesley uh, on one occasion was pelted with stones uh, in the street. Uh, On other occasions uh, people stormed church buildings to, to assault and to break up church meetings Uh, Last week uh, someone reminded me that at one point a cow was driven through uh, the church service, a church service that John Wesley was uh, was holding. Uh, What about other times in church history? Uh, Here's an account from uh, from Fox's Book of Martyrs. There was a Roman lady in the second century by the name of Felicitatus. There you go, there's a good name for your next child. Felicitatus. And uh, Felicitatus was, uh, was a devout Christian and she had uh, seven sons. All of them were executed. One was crushed to death by weights. Two had their brains beaten out by clubs. One was thrown off a cliff and the other three were beheaded before the mother herself was beheaded. Here's a more recent example from Open Doors, a group which supports Christians, persecuted Christians around the world. Lager Uli, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's a minister in East Java. In the many years he's been taking the Christians to Muslims there, his church building has been destroyed. He's been threatened and killed several times, almost killed I should say, several times. And once... That would be astounding. Once uh, he was preparing for an afternoon service and his house was raided, or his office was raided, and a group of people armed with knives burst in and attacked him. They slashed his head, his neck, his hands and his legs and left him for dead. 
Uh, he had hundreds of stitches all over his body and was in hospital for days. What will it be like? What will it be like between the resurrection of Jesus and his return to judge the living and the dead? It will involve being beaten and flogged and put in prison. What else will it be like? Verse 21, Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. What will it be like? You'll be hated by all kinds of people uh, and betrayed even by your own family. And this isn't, Jesus isn't talking about persecution where you know, people who don't understand you, people who don't know you, sort of, you know, it's not mob violence. No, it's even betrayal by those closest and dearest to you. It's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? You know, brother will betray brother, not just, you know, not just uh, you know, a, they're going to come and slap you with a fine. Brother will betray brother even to death. You know, and, pe- and children will give up their parents to be executed. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I've been thinking about that this week. I can't imagine that happening. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if your brother or your sister or or your children handed you over to be killed by the government for your faith. It's hard to believe. It's not hard to believe because it doesn't happen. It happens all over the world. In so many uh, Muslim countries uh, where a family member becomes a Christian, it's the family who hands them over to the authorities to to be executed, to be put in prison, It's hard to believe it's so far outside our experience but it's true. A brother will betray his own brother to death and a child their parents. Jesus says, what will it be like? Jesus says, you'll be hated by all people, betrayed even by your own family. So it will be terrible. That's the basic point, isn't it? It will be so much worse than we can possibly imagine and it's so much worse than any of us have ever experienced. But why? Why will it be like that? We've seen how bad it is. Why will it get that bad? Well, in answer to that question, Jesus uh, really gives two answers, but the most fundamental and the one, I guess, that he gives the most consistently all through this chapter is in verse 18 and in verse 22. Jesus says, On my account you will be brought before governors and kings. And in verse 22, all men will hate you. Why? Because of me. Why will there be this vicious persecution? Why will it be like that? The disciples that Jesus had just sent out, they were being sent out to help the poor uh, and to heal the sick. Uh, Will it be because of their generosity and their kindness that there will be such hatred uh, and antagonism? Uh, Will it be uh, because of their patience and thoughtfulness that the disciples will be hated? No, it will be because of their allegiance to Jesus. Why are Christians persecuted? Why are Christians put in prison and beaten and killed? It's because they believe the message about Jesus. It's because they believe that Jesus is God and King And they believe that others need to bow the knee to submit to Jesus and to flee to Jesus as well. That's why Jesus says later in verse 34, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. 
I did not come to bring peace but a sword for I have come to turn a man against his father, a a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies were the members of his household. The reason that there will be this division is because there can't be any other alternative. Jesus' claim to be king, uh, creator and God over the whole world is absolute. There's only one of two possible answers. There's only one of two possible kind of uh, reactions. One is that you humble yourself and you submit to Jesus and the other is that you hate him, that you reject him. Is not uh, Jesus' compassion and kindness, not Jesus' great miracles that sent him to the cross? No, it's Jesus' claim about who he was. It was his claim to be God and King. And if we live by that claim, if we speak about that claim, if we own that claim, we'll be hated for that too. Jesus says in verse uh, 24, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? If they hated Jesus because of the message that he spoke, they'll hate us too for believing it. So if the first reason for persecution is because of our allegiance to Jesus as God and King, then the second reason for this vicious persecution is because It's God's plan for mission. Verse 18, On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. I don't know when the last time you read the book of Acts was, but in the last five or six chapters or so, you notice that all the great missionary speeches are not... You know, like at the beginning of Acts, they're not in the, in the temple courts, they're not in the public squares, you know, it's not Paul and the Areopagus you know, debating the philosophers. The great missionary speeches at the end of the book of Acts are before councils and governors and politicians and judges. I wonder how many people in the last 2,000 years have come to faith, not in a church uh, or in a a public meeting or because of a friend but have come to faith because they've heard the message in a court or at a public execution. Think about that great Bishop Polycarp in AD 161. You've probably heard the story before. It's one of those great stories. Uh, He was uh, the the Bishop uh, of, of Smyrna, I think it was, Uh, and he was arrested and he was about to be put to death and they gave him the opportunity to recant and to renounce Jesus. Uh, And he was there about to be burned at the stake and they said, there you go, Polycarp, you know, if if you renounce Christ, we'll let you go. And he said, no. Eighty and six years I've served, uh, I've served him and he's never once wronged me. How shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? How many people on that day as Polycarp testified to Christ, came to faith. How many people in the history of the world since then have come to faith because those words still speak down through the ages? Think about my two favourites, Bishops Ridley and Latimer. I love Ridley and Latimer. 
they were burned at the stake as well for refusing to deny Jesus. Uh, And as the crowds looked on and watched them and as they were being set alight, Latimer said to Ridley, Be of good cheer, Mr Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. How many, I wonder, that day as they heard Latimer encourage Bishop Ridley, how many people came to faith? It's impossible to tell, isn't it? But how many since that time have come to faith because of that testimony? What kind of candle, I wonder, what kind of light was lit up by that gospel testimony at a time of immense persecution? It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we would think, wouldn't we, if we were being burned at the stake, we'd think that that was a defeat. We'd think that that was a defeat of the gospel. But Latimer knew better. He knew that it wasn't a defeat, but that day that God would light up such a candle in England as would never be put out. That was true. England became a powerhouse of reformation, a powerhouse of revival. Only a century later in the, the, the revival under Whitfield and Wesley, we would think that that persecution was a defeat. But Latimer and Ridley knew that God's power is made perfect in weakness. That's most ably demonstrated in the cross, isn't it? You know, Jesus' execution wasn't a defeat. Lots of people might think it was a defeat, but it was the greatest victory in the human, in, in, greatest victory in the history of the world, and it was the most powerful witness, the most powerful witness in the history of the world to the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God. What will it be like? It will be terrible. Why will it be like that? Because it's God's plan for mission. Isn't that extraordinary? When persecution comes, as it comes, we need to remember that it's God's plan for mission. Why was Peter Jensen abused on Q&A? Because it was God's plan for mission. That the gospel should be heard and that people should suffer for the sake of Christ. So we've seen what it will be like. We've seen that it will be terrible, it will be ghastly, it will be worse than we can possibly imagine. We've seen that it will be like that because of Jesus' claim to be God and King and because it's God's plan for mission. And the last question to answer is how do we respond? If this is what it is like for some people in the world already and if this is what it's going to be like for us increasingly in the years to come, unless God brings revival, how do we respond? Well, Jesus says three things uh, about how we can respond to persecution. The first thing he says is, don't worry. Verse 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry. Why not? Why shouldn't we worry? when we're beaten and flogged and thrown into prison, why should we not be afraid? Is it because we'll be okay? Jesus doesn't say that. He continues 
Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Don't worry, Jesus says, because you'll know what to say. Don't worry because the Spirit will give you words to say. Don't worry because the Spirit will enable you to testify to the truth. Polycarp knew what to say, didn't he? <laughs> he knew what to say because, and it's been recorded throughout all of history. Ridley and Latimer knew what to say. I don't know what kind of people they were when they weren't being burned at the stake. They may not have been people of tremendous words. They may never have said anything quotable in their lives before that. How many other quotes from Polycarp do you know or from uh, Bishop Ridley or Latimer? I don't know any. Jesus says, don't worry, when the time comes, you'll know what to say. God gave those people words to say and their words still honour him and God will give us words to say as well. Why shouldn't we worry uh, when persecution comes? The reason is, because God will give us words to say. Jesus gives another uh, reason not to be afraid. He says in verse 26, so, not, uh, so do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Do you see what uh, Jesus is saying here? He's saying, don't be afraid to speak the truth. Uh, Don't be afraid to tell people who I am. Don't be afraid to claim allegiance to me. Why not? Because the worst they can do is kill you. We're reading uh, in the Grace Group I'm part of, we're reading this past week from Hebrews 11 and the writer says, you know, who of you in, in resisting uh, the onslaught of the world, the onslaught of sin, who of you has yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? You know, don't be afraid. You haven't died yet and even if you do die, what's the worst of that? What's, what's the worst that can happen? You know, they can just kill your body. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of God. But if you're on Jesus' side, you don't have to worry about that either. Because if you love Jesus, if you trust Jesus, then the Father loves you as well. Don't be afraid of the world. What can they they do? All they can do is take your life. And God has a plan to fix that. Jesus goes on in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than sparrows. There's a uh, talk recently by uh, a guy. He said, what a great thing to say, you know? What a great thing to encourage someone by. You know, if someone we know is struggling, we go, no, don't, don't be discouraged. You know, you're doing really well. You know, uh, God's given you such tremendous gifts. Uh, you know, you really, your life, it's not as bad as you think. And what does Jesus say? You're worth more than sparrows. What, what a tremendous encouragement. You know, it's a damned by mute praise, isn't it, really? But it's not. It's not Jesus. What does he say? He says, 
you know, here's this, one of the simplest creatures, one of the, the cheapest things to buy. You can buy them for a, a penny, however much that is, but not very much. And God cares about them. And if he cares about them, how much more does he care about you? It's a great, uh, great thing to get into the habit of, of thinking about. You know, as you walk along the street uh, and you see birds uh, sitting in their nest or flying about, uh, about the sky, as you think, God loves those creatures and he cares for them and to, and to observe how he cares for them and to think, well, if he cares for them, he must care for me so much more, mustn't he? You know, see the ants uh, crawling along the ground? I, I always seem to have ants outside my door. And, uh, and you look at them, they're, it's amazing, isn't it? And to think, well, God cares about them and if he cares about them, how much more does he care about me? <laughs> the great thing about that argument is, is that your life might be hopelessly falling apart. You know, you might have nothing together. You might, you might feel only the barest bit greater than a sparrow. But that doesn't matter because the argument still holds, doesn't it? You might only be a raven, you know, compared to a sparrow. Well, that doesn't matter. Because if God cares for them, he cares for you as well. Jesus says, you're worth more than sparrows and how true that is. Why shouldn't we worry when persecution comes? Well, we shouldn't worry because God will give us the words to testify about Jesus and we shouldn't worry because we're worth more than sparrows. The uh, second response that Jesus gives in dealing with persecution is in verse 23. He says, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So how do we respond to persecution? Flee, Jesus says, and keep fleeing. The second half of that verse is something that people have often struggled to understand. That is, Jesus says, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Uh, people uh, have wrestled a lot with what that means and I suspect a lot of, one of the reasons that people have found that hard to understand is because they think in terms of mission. Uh, so uh, earlier Jesus has said to the disciples, look, go to these towns uh, and if people welcome you, uh, great, stay there. If they don't, uh, then move on. But Jesus, I think, has moved on from that argument and he's talking now about persecution. What he's uh, talking about is not mission, uh, but he's talking about what it would be like in terms of pu uh, persecution. So Jesus is saying that the persecution will keep on going until he comes. Right? When you're persecuted, flee. You know, when you're persecuted in that next town, flee again. And when you're persecuted there, flee again. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you won't stop fleeing until the Son of Man comes. Jesus is saying... You, you won't be able to settle down because the entire time from my resurrection and ascension until the time I come back is going to be a time filled with persecution. <laughs> That's interesting to think about, isn't it? I've been thinking about that all week. Thinking about the fact that throughout the history of the world and at the present time in our world, there are lots of people who've had to flee their home country 
because of persecution. And I thought to myself, have I ever thought that that might happen to me? Imagine that. Imagine that it became so bad in Australia that we had to flee to another country. It seems almost unthinkable, doesn't it? But I can't see any reason to suppose that that won't happen. Not just because I, not just, I'm not just saying that the world is so bad at the moment that uh, you know, this is going to happen. No, I just look at the Bible. Look at the, rea- the reality that Jesus speaks about. And I think to myself, it could change in 20 years. It could change in 10 years. We could all be out of here. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's happened in lots of other countries. People had to flee Reformation England. We think of England as the great bastion, well, you know, one of the great bastions of you know, Western Christianity, maybe. Well, it was. People fled. It's a sobering reminder, isn't it? That we should sit loose to the world. Jesus says, be on your guard, watch out. Why? Because the fleeing and the persecution won't end between now and my return. Jesus' advice about fleeing is helpful, I think, too, not just to make us think about how we're living at the moment and how prepared we are, but it's good advice because it nuances and it balances the command not to be afraid. It means that being afraid doesn't necessarily always just... Sorry, not being afraid doesn't just mean you know, standing up and, and, and facing people and you know, sort of being immovable. Being afraid can include fleeing to another part of the world, fleeing to another country to, to escape the persecution. Not being afraid requires more wisdom than just staying where you are. It requires being as wise as a serpent and as innocent as doves. It's true through the history of the church as well that many people who fled persecution have often later gone back to rebuild the church in their country. Jesus' words remind us that not being afraid is not about not fleeing but about trusting God in all circumstances. How should we respond to persecution? We shouldn't be afraid. We should flee when necessary. And the last command that Jesus gives Uh, in dealing with persecution is this, do not disown me. That's what he says. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns uh, me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And then in verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. At the end of the day, there are only two responses to persecution. One response is that you give up. It becomes so hard, it becomes so oppressive, uh, it becomes so overwhelming that you give up. One response is to love this world more than Jesus, to love your life more than Jesus, to love your family 
more than Jesus, to love being accepted by family and friends more than loving Jesus. That's one response, to give up. Or there is the other response, which is to embrace Jesus, to own Jesus, to acknowledge Jesus, to not be ashamed of Jesus. That cost, the cost of that is enormously high. Sometimes it's higher than others, right? Sometimes in some parts of the world, the cost of that is tremendously high. People are put to death, put in prison. At other times, the persecution is less pronounced. It's just being called names. But there are only two options to embrace Jesus and be persecuted or to avoid persecution and disown Jesus. One of those questions uh, that people always ask is, I wonder what I would do uh, if someone put a gun to my head. And I wonder if you've ever asked that question. You know? What would happen, what would I do if, uh, if someone held me at gunpoint and said, deny Jesus? Have you ever asked that question? What would I do? Well, amazingly, we don't need to wait until someone puts a gun to our head to know whether or not we're willing to die for following Jesus. How can you know if you'd be willing to die to follow Jesus or to be burned at the stake for following Jesus, to be, to be executed for following Jesus? Well, here's a great test. Are you dying for Christ already? Is there any evidence in your life of what you might call painful obedience? You know, obedience which costs. Uh, What have you given up lately for the sake of knowing Christ and being found in him? Is there anything? Is there anything that you can can point to and say, yes, look, I've, I've, I've sacrificed here. I've sacrificed my life in this aspect or in that aspect in order to follow Christ. Is, is there anything of that? Because if there isn't, you know, if there's no evidence now of sacrificing your life for Christ in small ways, then what reason do you have to think that when the great opportunity to sacrifice your life for following Christ comes, what reason is there to think that you'll take it? You know, if you can't sell some of your possessions today and, and to give that to the poor, if you can't kind of make time in your life uh, to, to, you know, to spend time with God or to, or, or to do things that you know that God wants you to do, if you can't find any kind of opportunity for self-sacrifice for the sake of Christ now, then then all the bets are that when the time comes to stand up for Christ or lose your life, all the bets are that you'll be one of the first people to renounce Christ and to go to hell. On the other hand, if you're willing to die for Christ today, if you're putting to death your own wants and desires in order to obey Jesus and to love him, if you're doing that, what a great training ground for actual death. You know, self-sacrifice today is a training ground for ultimate sacrifice tomorrow. How can you train for persecution? You can do it every day of your life by taking up your cross and following Jesus. Painful obedience now prepares us for painful obedience in the future. Well, the time between Jesus' death and resurrection uh, and his return to judge the living and the dead is a time 
marked by vicious persecution. It's a time marked by persecution of those who claim Jesus uh, to be God and King. How should we respond uh, to that persecution? We should respond to that persecution by not being afraid, by trusting God, by fleeing when we need to and by continuing to own Jesus as our God and King. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we live in a frightening world. Lord, we see the tremendous suffering of some of your people throughout this whole world and throughout all of human history. Lord, we see that people have suffered because they acknowledged you and acknowledge Jesus. Lord, help us to be aware of and alert to the reality of the vicious persecution which happens throughout the world and Lord, help us to be prepared for the possibility that that might happen here too. Lord, we don't want to be scaremongers and we don't want to be unnecessarily burdened by these things but Lord we know what Jesus has said about what it will be like and we ask that you'd help us to believe him and to not be afraid. Lord we pray for those people who are suffering persecution at this present time. We ask that you would give them the strength that they need to hold fast to the gospel and to your son. Lord, we pray that as they're beaten and put to death and thrown in prison, Lord, we pray that your gospel plan for mission to the nations through that might come to reality. Lord, we pray that governors and executioners and prison wardens and mobs and courts might hear the gospel through your children defending it even as they go to their death. Father, we ask too that you would be with us uh, as we live uh, uh, in this place in Australia. Help us to deal with the persecution that comes our way. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to know what to say. Lord, help us to go into training from this day on. Help us to be trained for the persecution that is to come by dying every day and by sacrificing ourselves to follow Christ. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.